Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, Heartbreakers. Welcome back to another Breakdown bonus episode. I'm so excited because today I'm joined by therapist Candice Zubernot. She is a licensed therapist and a founder of The Christian Closet, an LGBTQ that counsels people. You did great. That's awesome. You got it. <laughs> uh, that counsels people in the LGBTQ community, uh, you know, trying to come to terms with their sexuality, but also their faith. Uh, Candice, you were also telling me about a nonprofit organization that you're launching for. So a lot of um, people that reach out to us for services, um, therapy and coaching, they just can't afford it. Um, and so I'm the big believer that money should not be the thing that gets in the way of people getting healthy. So uh, we're raising money um, for LGBTQ uh, plus folks who can't afford mental health services called think- Affirming Therapy. So if you've got extra money and you're looking for a good cause, uh, uh, reach out. <laughs> I'll link that in the bio. So if that's something that really resonates with you, you can check that out in the episode description. But it sounds like you're doing incredible work. I, I found all your stuff online and um, I thought you would just be such a great resource to help bring a little bit more context to the main episode that I dropped this week where it was this relationship where one half of the couple was really struggling with how do I balance or not even balance, but how do I come to terms with who I am in my romantic life, but also who I am in my faith life. And I think a lot of people listening can really relate to that, whether it's from a personal experience or if they know somebody in their life that's struggling with that. I come from a Christian background and this is something that I've struggled with, you know, helping people talk through their experience because it is such a taboo issue in the Christian community. So let's start from like a base level. So for people who are listening, who maybe they have never had any context to why it's so taboo to be part of the LGBTQ plus community and also be Christian. Can you give some perspective as to what the average pastor is saying about homosexuality? Absolutely. Yeah. And I personally, um, I mean, the reason why I do the work that I do is because I personally connect with this, right? I was raised in the church. I went to Bible college. Um, my My wife and I met in seminary. And we were closeted for five years, struggling with this exact thing that you're naming um, and feeling like we, we can't be together. We went to therapy to try to break up. We broke up so many times, um, tried to date guys. I mean, it was just torture um, until finally we were able to accept ourselves and come out and... Um, uh, now, you know, we're married and have kids and all of that. But it is... It is I mean, just the most painful experience someone can go through. And, um, you know, what I realized is it, it doesn't need to be painful, actually. Um, and so that's why I, we do what we do at the Christian closet is, um, trying to help folks really realize like there are really good reasons why you're struggling, but it doesn't need to happen. Um, and the foundation of that is really the Bible. And so, it starts off with this really beautiful desire. These pastors, mentors, um, individuals are like filled with this desire to be uh, close to God, obedient to God, um, 
trying to do this faithful work of what it is to be a Christian. And they're going to the Bible and they're reading these words. And the words are saying like, homosexuality is an abomination. I mean, that sounds so scary. Um, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be an abomination for anything. <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. Like, it's like, oh, to not be that. Like, oh my God, it's terrible. Uh, but when you are uh, LGBTQ+, you read those words and this incredible uh, division happens inside of you because it actually isn't something that you can change. So there's this part of you that's experiencing maybe same-sex attraction or um, a trans identity. And then there's this Bible and faith piece and it, and it feels like God is only on that side. Um, and it's like, well, which one can I choose? I, I actually can't. And that leads to all kinds of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, suicide, um, because there doesn't seem to be a resolution to that conflict. So when we're at church and we hear pastors saying things or even just alluding to things, a lot of times now it sounds like, we love you. We love the gay community and we welcome you in here. Um, and we just want to be in a relationship with you. And, and it sounds really like, um, like loving and supportive. And I don't think that anyone's necessarily trying to trick you, but the thing that you're missing is that they actually don't see you as an equal, a participating member of that community, that what they see is they see that you're someone who's choosing to sin. And they see that because of some of these scriptures that say the word homosexuality. So it's important to really understand a couple different things. And one is that the word homosexuality actually wasn't even in the Bible until the late 40s. And so there's a whole history um where actually the word homosexuality was not in the Bible and, and not understood in the way it's understood today. So for more years than it has been, that if you really look at the context of those verses, it's not referring to a beautiful, loving, same-sex relationship like we have today. There is so much fear in getting it wrong. We've been kind of sometimes told like, you can slip off the path and then you're going to be far from God. And it's really easy for that to happen. And the path is like the path is really narrow. And that fear makes us hold on to those interpretations that say it's bad. But if you can kind of loosen that up, you start to realize, man, the Bible actually doesn't say that at all. It does not say it's not talking about a loving same-sex relationship or someone who is trans actually really far from it. These scenarios are scenarios filled with rape and violence and uh, idolatry and uh, those kinds of things. But it really takes being able to listen to that and have faith in that. Um, it's much easier to, I don't know, put faith in some person up front that seems like they know what they're talking about and, you know, follow what they have to say rather than trusting your own spirit inside of your heart. So I actually have a curious Christian question because I've heard that said a lot that the word homosexuality wasn't even added into the Bible until the 40s. Can you put more context to why it was added? Was it replacing a different word? What What's going on there? Yeah. I mean, there. Um, I want to just sort of name drop a, th a few things too. There's a movie uh, that has recently come out, 1946, I believe is what it's called. So that's the year that all this happened. 
really interesting. Um, also, if you go to YouTube and look up uh, Kathy Baldock, um, she's this incredibly smart person who has um, done way more research than I could have ever imagined. So check her out because she has these like hour long videos where she literally just like will show the dates and the time and it takes you through everything that got us to where we're at. So um, look those things up because it's going to be to give you more information than what I can today. Um, but essentially, they were trying to figure out what what kind of interpretation to use for these scenarios of same-sex um, idolatry and things like that. Not everybody agreed. And there was this really big struggle to decide what word to use. And honestly, even after they put decided to put the word homosexual, sexuality in it. It really wasn't as big and highlighted as it is today. There have been shifts in the culture of Christianity that have really decided to focus on that. Um, if you, like, even when I was growing up in church, nobody was talking about it. Um, the thing that people were talking about when I was growing up was things like divorce, mm -hmm. um, you know, cheating on your spouse, getting pregnant and having sex out of wedlock. So when I was young, something like purity, sexual purity was what was really highlighted. And so part of it is just like the cultural shift and the church's uh, response to that. Kind of yeah. what I'm getting from that is it the word homosexuality was used for a lot of violent and gruesome passages in the Bible as a way to describe what was going on there. It's not necessarily referring to romantic attraction for somebody of the same sex. Totally. Exactly. Okay. That was just sort of known and accepted and just wasn't an issue at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so nobody was coming out and being like, oh, same-sex love is this terrible thing. It was like, oh, yeah, this is like such not a big deal. We're not even going to mention it. We're talking about this whole other thing. And I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah is, uh, you know, a part of scripture that's just like, oh my God, I don't want to burn down. And that's why God destroyed, you know, this city with these people. I don't know how people get that from that story because it clearly says, um, both in the Sodom and Gomorrah story and in other parts of the scripture that refer to Sodom and Gomorrah, that the sin that actually brought about such destruction was a lack of hospitality and a sexual violence to visitors. It's really interesting. People want to hang on and focus to on the homosexuality piece of that. It's just not what the story is about. I mean, go back and read it. And, and you'll see it's just that's it's mentioned, but that's not what is highlighted. Coming from a Christian background, I mean, this is so much of what you're saying resonates with what I've heard in church and in, you know, the passages that are thrown out there. And it's I really empathize for anybody who is struggling with balancing their romantic and sexual identity with um, Christianity. It seems like they're two completely different things. But with the way things have been translated, I think there really is a lot up for debate of how it might not mean what is being preached today. I would actually love to hear from your own personal experience of how you went through therapy and came to terms with the fact that like, no, I can actually be who I am and also have my faith as well. I mean, I fought it for so many years um, because I had been told by pastors and mentors that I would be so far from God if I ever let myself you know, kiss another woman, hold another woman's hand. So, I mean, I would like fast and confess and pray. I even got engaged to a pastor, a male pastor at one point, um, and was filled with so much self-hate. Um, it seemed like for some reason 
I had the struggle and it was my fault and um, tried to go to therapy. I mean, it just would not go away. And it wasn't until um, this common thing that happens to us who are in this scenario, we sort of accidentally fall in love with our friends because that's who we're close to and we're not out dating. And so it's this, it's this <laughs> torture of like, oh, I'm this horrible person who's like falling in love with my friend. And um, so it was one of those scenarios where I was falling in love with my friend. And what I did not know is that she was also getting feelings for me. And that was the biggest surprise of all. And so I think because of that, we, we, we had this moment where we were hugging, like, it's going to be okay, you know? And I didn't know that a kiss was about to happen. And, and we kissed. And in an instant, I felt God's blessing and I felt God's affirmation and love and just like spit filling me up and singing. And like, I mean, it was just, it was this beautiful spiritual moment of blessing and affirmation. And so in an instant, it was like, oh my gosh, um, I've been wrong. Everyone has been wrong. I know what God's spirit inside of me feels like, and I'm getting this positive affirmation. So what can easily happen after that is you start to doubt that, right? So the what really happened for me is I was able to trust the spirit of God that's inside of me more than the messages that were happening outside of me. At that point, I didn't know necessarily what to do with the Bible, and I didn't know what to do with my friends and my community, my family. I was in a Christian community and family, but it was like, God and I, we are good, and I know that. And I'm so grateful that I was able to trust that. But that is a part of the shift that has to take place for people, is separating out your connection and relationship with the divine and your parents or your pastor or really anything else and to be able to trust God's spirit that's inside of you. Um, because no one has more of an understanding or connection to the divine than each individual person. Even someone that went to seminary, okay, they might know things about the Bible, but it doesn't mean that they have an understanding of your relationship with God more than you do. And trusting that is a big piece of self-acceptance. Talk to me about the experience of being in a relationship with somebody of the same sex as you and having those internal battles. Because you you did mention a little bit earlier that you even tried to break up at one point. What were you experiencing during that time? Because it sounds from what I've just heard, like you really felt like God's approval and his acceptance. But were there any internal thoughts or external situations that were making it hard for you to stay in that relationship? I wish we had only broken up one time. I mean, we broke up so many times in five years. And it was traumatic every single time because we wanted to be together so badly. And and I mean, I remember both of us saying like, you're my soulmate. Oh, but you're my soulmate. And if one of us were a man, like we would be married already. Um, and it sounds silly and crazy, but I kind of want to back up and talk about fruit for a second as the fruit of that, the Bible talks about like, you can tell a tree by its fruit and the fruit of um, sort of trying to reject our love and reject ourselves and tear our love apart. The fruit of that was drinking more than we should have, a deep depression, a crippling anxiety, um, shifts in like eating and sleeping, isolation socially. Um, our lives went from like big, beautiful, happy uh, lives to being pretty crippled. And it wasn't until 
we were able to accept our love and come out that the fruit in our life was able to change. Um, and that has been this beautiful trajectory of like just so many apples and oranges and all the fruit of our, of our life. And I've walked with so many people and seeing that shift of fruit of going from, um, you know, crippled lives to uh, lives filled with so much goodness and bigness. So that's a big indicator of something um, that is going on in, in that. But basically, the fear for Crystal and I, the fear of losing relationship um, was was really what was getting to us. Um this idea of like, I can't live without my family. I don't know how to go on if I don't get to have my family in my life. And I don't know how to keep going on in my life um, in relationship if I don't get to have my best friends. And if I don't have my community and these people that are helping me through graduate school and and um, starting a therapy practice, it felt as if everyone in our life um, was would lose that we would lose them. That is unlike any kind of pain. I, I mean, I, I just would love to hear a straight person say like that they had something in their life where they were pretty sure that they would lose every single person they loved. It's traumatizing to feel that, to know that. And it really wasn't until the point of us feeling like we can't do this anymore. And we almost have to just accept that we're going to lose all these people. We can't, we couldn't go on like that anymore. And we had already tried everything that people told us to do. We were very lucky that we did not lose our families and we didn't lose our best friends. We lost a lot of our community and we actually moved. We moved to an entirely different state to come out. It took time to rebuild that community, but honestly, I don't, I don't think much about them. And in fact, I often tell people when I'm working with clients, I've been doing this. I've been a clinician for almost 20 years and I've been doing this kind of work for about 11. Never once even when someone's story goes to the worst case scenario. So let's say they're like, I fear my family, I'm going to lose my family and I'm going to lose my community. Even when that happens, they still are so glad that they accepted themselves and came out. I have never worked with anyone who regretted it. And in fact, the pain that they experienced was more, was higher during a place, uh, the lack of self-acceptance and the closetedness. Um, so I think that's that's an incredible thing to say, like literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people um, every single time, even when it was the worst case scenario, did not regret accepting themselves and coming out. Well, my heart breaks that you had to go through that. I mean, to think about in your mind, it's such a loss. You're choosing your identity and the person that you love the most versus like, you know, the quantity of people who raised you and the people who have been by your side for however many years. I mean, I, I can't fathom having to make that choice, but I'm glad you didn't end up losing those people. Sometimes we suffer more in our heads than we actually do in real life. And I can imagine like the anguish of thinking of what your future could look like if that happened. The pain must have been unimaginable. Um, some Something I did want to ask you about, because it's something that's very similar to the story that I put out this week, is you at one point got engaged to a man. And I'm assuming that you only identify as being attracted to women. And so that's something that's also that also came up in the story. So can you talk about what that experience was like of trying to almost convince yourself to be straight? Yeah. So I, I do identify as gay or lesbian myself now. At the time... I didn't understand it as an identity thing. Um, so I wasn't like, I'm a 
gay woman and trying not to be. It was like, I have this terrible struggle and I'm trying to get rid of it. And I mean, my pastor was like, the way you get rid of this is you you get everything out of your life that has to do with it. If you're attracted to somebody, you get away from them. If if there's like any edgy part of your life, like I, I used to, at the time I was like, um, I was young and I could skateboard. Um, now I'm a middle-aged mom who does not skateboard, but, um, you know, like art and anything edgy. He was like, get it out. Just come to church. Um, you need to be with a man. And, and I did that. And it was like, that was the answer. And for like, you know, a couple months, it really worked. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And, and I did. I only surrounded myself with, with my church community at the time. I distanced myself even from my Christian friends. It really didn't take long for me. I mean, I, re- I have this story where I remember being on the L train. I was living in Chicago and I was holding onto the bar. And so I had my engagement ring on. And across the way, I saw this young woman who was probably around my age and I immediately felt attraction for her. And it was like my eyes were kind of going from looking at my ring to looking at her and back to my ring and back to her and realizing like, this is not going away. This is um, maybe I didn't feel attraction for someone for a few months or even, you know, more than a few months, but it was, it wasn't an indication of this moving and transitioning out of me. It just was like, I happen to have not seen someone I was attracted to. Um, that these parts of us, um, actually, they're not a result of trauma. You can't create a sexual orientation from trauma. You cannot create a sexual orientation from a certain kind of relationship you have with your parents growing up or your caregivers. You cannot create a sexual orientation um, by distancing yourself from people that you're attracted to. Um, that's not how it works. It's not how it works for straight people. So it's not how it works for queer people. Um, and in fact, in our practice, we meet with lots and lots of people who um, we call them mixed orientation marriages. And they were people who um, either weren't aware of their sexual orientation or who just like me were trying to change it. And here they are now, 10, 20 years later, they have a life, they have children, and they're devastated because this thing has not gone away. And now they don't know what to do. And that honestly is the most painful work I do with folks because now it's no longer about their individual life. It has impacted entire families and children. And there's nothing worse than saying, I want to stay married to you. I actually deeply care about you as my spouse. And we have this beautiful life and I love your family and we have children and, and churches and softball leagues and all of these things. But like, I can't keep going on like this. And so I now have to like fracture all of that. Again, it does not need to happen. It can be prevented. Also, I totally get the temptation to try to, um, try to do something else. I get the temptation of trying to get married and, but it is a far more painful path. I've mm-hmm. seen it for many, many years. I'm glad that it didn't end that way for you. I mean, what did it take being on the subway and for you seeing another woman to be like, you know what, I I need to call up my fiance and break this off before I make the biggest mistake of my life. Ooh, that yeah. was also a very torturesome experience. <laughs> and I am so grateful. I just think like I got the luck of the draw and somehow myself and God got me out of that scenario. I don't think that there was necessarily something like great about me because there are plenty of amazing people who 
don't get to get out of that. But honestly, it it was sort of starting to see the spiritual manipulation that was also happening. It was um, starting to see the spiritual manipulation of the head pastor and of my fiance. And they really were trying to um, weaken my idea of myself. So they were using scripture to try and manipulate and convince me that the only way to honor God was to stay and that I was weak. And again, it really was the Holy Spirit inside of me that was saying, get out, get out, get out. And um, and so I thought like, I think these people are right. I think I'm a terrible person and I think that I'm weak and maybe even, I don't know, God doesn't love me, but something is happening inside that is telling me to get out. And so I had to listen to that. And so honestly, I mean, I literally just like called up my fiance, I gave him the ring back and I have not seen him since. And I haven't been back to that church since. I know that, you know, they really were trying to be faithful to what they thought, but it was really wrong. It's wrong to... It's abusive and wrong to tell someone that you know better than them about their relationship with God. It's abusive to tell someone that that you know better about the Bible than they do. It's something that we get used to in the church, like putting someone else in authority above us. But that's that's not actually how it's supposed to go, and it's an abusive an abusive power. Um, when that happens. So I'm so grateful that I just was filled with so much anxiety. If if you're listening to this and you're engaged or thinking about it to someone in the, you know, the the opposite gender of you and you have anxiety and you don't know why and you think it's because you're messed up, that anxiety is the spirit of God trying to get you out of that scenario. Listen to it. Get out. Something that happened in the in the story that I put out this week was she got engaged after the first breakup to her ex-girlfriend and then they got back together. And something that happened the second time around in their relationship when they stayed together the longest, I think they were together for about two years during this time. She, from what the ex-girlfriend was describing to me, was she was displaying what I would consider signs of having a very anxious attachment style. She's very codependent had a really hard time trusting her partner. And I'm curious from your perspective, do you think her experience with that pushing down any desires to be with women, do you think that that could have created some kind of attachment issue within her to make her have those kinds of behaviors in that relationship? Maybe, right? It is such a chaotic, and I know I keep saying the word traumatic, I'm trying to think of a different word, but a chaotic it's, it's, it's traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's traumatic, but it creates so much internal chaos inside of yourself to um, try and push away and, and reject a, a very big part of yourself to simultaneously be feeling and certain that you're also going to lose everyone you love and you might be going to hell. It is so just, I mean, I need to get a thesaurus to look <laughs> up all of the like terrible, angsty experience words um, that all kinds of unhealthy patterns come out of that. Um, as much as probably the person you interviewed was going through pain um, and feeling rejected and feeling probably pulled and pushed and on the other side of this, like, I want to be close to you. I can't talk to you type of experience. The person who's doing that is in such a tailspin 
of anxiety that they really can't tell which way is up. So it's not surprising that lots of different kinds of unhealthy ways of coping and un- unhealthy ways of being in relationship is coming out of that person because they're they're in quite a torment. No, I mean, that makes so much sense. If their life feels out of control and chaotic, they would try and want to cling on to anybody they felt close to or try and control every situation because that's really what it came down to. That's what the ex-girlfriend kept saying was that she felt like her now ex-girlfriend was just controlling. And there was almost an over-reliance on their relationship. I think listening to it and you're hearing somebody come from a place of trauma and being like, this relationship was really hard for me. It's easy to be like, ah, sucks, sucks uh, to be you. You just got controlled by this crazy ex-girlfriend. But the, the, the experience that she's also going through and trying to like ground her life It's not surprising that she would have any kind of controlling behaviors. Oh, totally. I mean, when I think about when Crystal and I were closeted, I mean, I remember going to a friend's birthday party and a friend taking a picture of us on the couch. We weren't even snuggling or anything, but we like Crystal had so much anxiety about that photo getting posted on Facebook. What was that was the big, you know, social media of the day. And like her trying to control me and fill me with anxiety so that I would call my friend to get that photo down. And the level of anxiety is uh, the anxiety of exposure. And then that pending doom of rejection is what leads to that controlling behavior. You know, when I think about that time of my life, at one point I felt really embarrassed because I was so unhealthy and was like, oh God, the people in our lives probably just thought like, these women are just really messed up. Um, And the (laughs) truth is we were but it wasn't because we were in a same sex relationship and it wasn't because we were fundamentally, you know, had some sort of mental disorder. It was the result of being in that kind of angst and uh, pain and trauma every single day. It leads to all kinds of, yeah, uh, controlling behaviors, anxiety. It's just a real freaking mess. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> Is there a pattern that you typically see in clients that come to you? Is there is there one issue that tends to plague members of the LGBTQ plus community who are also Christian that you would love to bring some clarity to? Like maybe if there's somebody listening, like, hey, if you feel this way, trust me, a bunch of other people feel this way too. I think it's this really interesting thing that happens. And that is people who say, I actually don't even necessarily believe in hell. And I don't actually necessarily believe that gay people go to hell or homosexual people or trans people go to hell. But somehow I simultaneously am terrified that I'm going to hell because I'm gay or because I'm trans. Like this dichotomy of like, I don't even believe that this happens, but I can't sleep at night because when I go, when I try to go to sleep, I'm filled with so much fear and anxiety that that's the exact thing that's going to happen to me. That piece of like, how am I being controlled by this anxiety of something that I don't even believe in is really common. Often what uh, we come to realize with people is that they have mistakenly joined God, the divine, with um, their parents, or they have mistakenly joined God and the divine with their church. And when they can start to piece out God and God's spirit within them from their parents or from their church, then it starts to become actually much more clear. So that's sort of the process that we take people on. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking so eloquently. You did an amazing job, so thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks. That's kind of you to uh, encourage me that way. And all of our clinicians at the Christian Closet, 
identify somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, and every single one of them have been through this process. That's been an important piece as I've asked uh, clinicians to be on my team is that we personally get this. We, we understand this process and have walked many, many people through it. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me.